I don't have to sell my soul. He's already in me. It has been countless years since I've seen Big Top Pee Wee. I could only recall seeing it a time or two as a kid, which is kind of odd given that in 1988 when the movie came out, Pee Wee's Playhouse was at its cultural peak, and I was certainly swept up in its waves. Uh, Big Top Pee Wee played on HBO for uh, ever, basically on a daily basis, and despite watching Die Hard on there, much too young, I don't recall a single instance of actually sitting down to watch Big Top Pee Wee on HBO. A mystery, if there ever was one, folks. Welcome to the set of my cool new Paramount Motion Picture. Guess what it's about? <laughs> this film's got everything. Thrills, chills, romance. That's right. It's a sexy love story between me and not one, but count them two beautiful women. <laughs> it's also a buddy picture. Hey, there's one of my co-stars, Vance the Talking Pig. Say something, Vance. <laughs> This is a very challenging role for me. I walk, I talk, I crawl on my belly like a reptile. Mr. Herman, ready for you on the set. Beg me. Please, Mr. Herman. Pretty please. Pretty please. <laughs> Excuse me, won't you? <laughs> Big Top Pee Wee, take one. Big Top Pee Wee. The film opens with a dream sequence and an extended farm animal breakfast roll call. Pee-wee is now a junior college graduate with a talking pig named Vance with whom he practices horticulture. And tonally, the beginning is pretty consistent with what we've come to know about Pee-wee. He's an eccentric, ageless man-child who is neither man nor child. Pee-wee is this imperfect innocent, a wide-eyed asexual who can veer into self-serving petulance, but in his heart of hearts, he is a weirdo we can root for. However, in this film, the moment Pee-wee Herman sits down to have lunch with his fiance, the whimsy of Pee-wee gives way to reality, and that is somewhere Pee-wee Herman cannot exist. The single funniest movie review I have ever read or heard is Roger Ebert's review of Clifford. Ebert noted on his show with Gene Siskel that the freakish presence of Martin Short playing a child in the movie Clifford leaves the audience with nothing to do but to gawk at short. In his written review, he puts it this way, quote, if Clifford is not a real little boy, then what is he? The movie doesn't know and neither does the audience. And for much of the running time, we sit there staring stupefied at the screen, trying to figure out what the hell we're supposed to be thinking. The moment you bring Pee-wee Herman into normal human development, the gag falls apart. Pee-wee is howdy doody come to life to host his own show from Bizarro Land. He doesn't go to college. He doesn't fetishize hair, as he does in his movie. He doesn't pass out from cleavage, even if that cleavage belongs to Valera Galeno. The only person who seems to be in a Pee-wee Herman movie, in this Pee-wee Herman movie, is Chris Kerstofferson. Odd as that may be. Here... Pee-wee is an agricultural scientist trying to solve a world hunger problem with a hot dog tree. I mean, the formula for absurdity is right, but like the proportions are off. You know, like the ingredients are there, but we put them in in the wrong order. 
You'll have to give me your word that this is just between you and me. All right. Then repeat after me. I'm Ace Montana. I'm Ace Montana. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will never tell anyone. That I will never tell anyone. What I'm about to see. What I'm about to see. What I am about to see. What I'm about to see. Wow! I call this the hot dog tree. Because, well, it's a hot dog tree. See that space right there, Mace? That's where my Nobel Prize is going to go. I understand the impulse for the movie. I understand how they got to where they ended up going with this. The first film is about the concerns of a child who goes on a road trip, right? He's trying to get his bike back. And that that film, this film is all about the concerns of an older peewee who is in a fixed location. This isn't a road trip movie. It's a, it's basically a, a one town movie, right? It makes sense. It's, it's opposite of what the first film was. You know, Big Adventure ends in a parody of Hollywood movie making. And this film is itself at times almost a parody of classic Hollywood films. Right there's a wild circus full of colorful characters blown in by a storm on a peewee's farm, and it's kind of a reverse Wizard of Oz effect. When the small town uptights reject the notion of circus folk in their midst, ringleader Mace Montana, played by Christopherson, is dejected. He offers up some folksy trite line that only movie characters used to say in movies, and Peewee does whatever a character does in a movie when a trite line is dropped by an opposing character. He asks, "What do you mean, Mace?" And then Montana drops another variation of the same line, meaning slightly less than the first time, only for Pee-wee to ask the same question in the exact same intonation. What do you mean, Mace? And this gag repeats itself about five times, and each time Mace Montana says something only a screenwriter could come up with. Later, during a love scene between Pee-wee and Gina, the music swells and swells as the pair continue making out for an uncomfortable amount of time. The music practically has to loop as the scene is taking so long. Not only is Pee Wee Herman making out with a beautiful woman, he's also committing infidelity. At the same time, he's doing all of this. He's like painting how absurd any passionate kissing cliche scene in any movie you've ever seen is. We don't get those scenes anymore, but movies used to have these cliche scenes where two characters would passionately make out as the music swelled and the curtains blew. And that's basically what this is. Big Top Pee-wee either needed to be a lot more of that or a lot less like that. Let me push this a little further. I think Big Top Pee-wee would have worked a lot better if it were a Paul Rubens vehicle and not a Pee-wee Herman vehicle. It might have gotten compared to Big Adventure as another eccentric fantasy film, but I don't think it would have been nearly as reviled throughout time. Now, you might be asking the question, why is Big Top Pee-wee the way it is? If you've seen it recently... And you probably have, but if you did, trust me, you'd be asking that question. And through the years, people have conjectured uh, why it is the way it is. Why did it turn out like this? It was due to a falling out between Paul Rubens and his collaborator and co-credited screenwriter on Big Adventure, Phil Hartman. We know the two ended their relationship at this time and allegedly never reconciled before Hartman was killed in 1998. Others point to the absence of Tim Burton or the property's move from studios from uh, Big Adventure being at Warner Brothers and this one being at Paramount. 
My pet theory is that Rubens wanted to do more as an actor, but he was confined to doing more from within his most popular creation, Pee Wee Herman. And whether it served the character or not, he was dead set on doing more. Our next guest has been with us several times before, but always uh, in the character he created named Pee Wee Herman. And uh, tonight we thought we would talk a little bit to Paul Rubens, who uh, is Pee Wee Herman. Or is Pee Wee Herman Paul Rubens? I can't figure out which is which. I'm having trouble figuring that out myself lately. This is, uh, this is strange. I've never done this before, been myself, and uh, I'm not sure. I've been doing Pee Wee for so long that I, I want to slip into the thing all the time. <laughs> Paramount didn't think that Big Top Pee-wee served the character because they terminated all future Pee-wee projects, released Ruben from his contract, and ejected him from his studio office and the studio lot following the opening weekend of Big Top Pee-wee. There are jokes here and there, and a few of them are funny. The movie is brisk and strange in a way movies could only be in 1988. It is a horny cartoon for parents and kids that fails as a Pee-wee film but kind of succeeds as an 80s oddity. I give this film three out of five stars. Keen-eyed viewers will spot Benicio Del Toro as Duke the Dog Boy, the late Dustin Diamond as a de-aged town elder, and Susan Tyrell as Midge, Chris Christopherson's sprightly circus wife. You know, you've had such a unique career. You create this character that caught so many people's imagination, and 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 you're you're so good at what you do. But did you ever think about what you would have done had you not been an actor? If you'd gone a different way, if you didn't go into acting, what would you do? This is going to sound like I'm joking, but this is this is really what I thought I would wind up doing. I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, which is the old winter headquarters of Ringling Brothers, and I always thought I'd wind up in the circus. That's what I thought I was going to really? do. Really? Yeah. What, what did you want to do in the circus? Did you have a specific, like, did you see, okay, this is... I could do a lot of circus acts. I, I could do trapeze, I could do tightrope. Um, see, I thought, I knew you were going to think that. <laughs> did you really, did you practice, I mean, did you, how, how, would you take it seriously? To, I went you... to circus camp. There's a circus camp? Mm -hmm. As a child, I went to circus camp. About six weeks into the circus camp, we put on a big show. My parents came, they're sitting in the bleachers. And I run out, I got on a little Speedo bathing suit. I'm like maybe 12. Right. I've got like a, I get up on the balance beam. I had a balance beam act. Right. It's a fantastic balance beam act. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen it. Um, and, uh, I had like fire, I had a ring like that had fire around it and I blindfold myself and skip through the ring and I looked out, my parents were like <laughs> <laughs> I think it was then they knew. Yeah.